is the Mulberry Lane Show. The Mulberry Lane Show. Exclusive interviews, fun, music, celebrities. Your weekend getaway. Now, here's Mulberry Lane, Rachel, Bo, and Ellie Cat. Be a part of the family. Hey, it's Allie here with the Mulberry Lane Show. You're here with your radio sisters. It's me, Rachel and Bo, and you're in for a ride today. Welcome to the Mulberry Lane Show. All right. Yeah. <laughs> From rock to opera to comedy, it's a show full of variety. It's all here in this next hour. We're so happy you could join us today. Girls, let's get to those guests. The Mulberry Lane Show's on Celebrity story songs You're gonna have it going on When we tell you who's stopping by now Up first, legendary singer-songwriter from the band Poco Rusty Young is here Now you know Rusty from this hit It happens all the time This crazy love of mine Wraps around my heart Refusing to with his very first solo album called Waiting for the Sun and you're going to hear all the behind the scenes stories of not only the making of this album but the recording sessions of Crazy Love and some really cool rock and roll nuggets that you won't hear anywhere else. Yes, Rusty's got some great behind the scenes stories and you'll get the scoop on how the album was written literally Waiting for the Sun. Inspirational way to write. You have to get up early though. <laughs> not happening here. <laughs> okay, so who else is on the show today? All right, then you guys are going to meet a rising opera star. Taylor Staten is here. You can see him live in concert this weekend at Opera Omaha. He plays the role of Fenton in Verdi's Falstaff. And today you're going to get a peek behind the scenes of the opera world. This guy has traveled to opera stages all around the globe. You'll get up close and personal with Taylor Staten, who now calls himself a Nebraskan. Yes, this guy with the critically acclaimed and celebrated voice calls Omaha home. And you're going to hear a wet or who brought him to Omaha. Okay, who else, Rachel? Then you're going to get to hang out with comedian and internet sensation. You might know her from her YouTube channel, One Funny Mother. She's had several viral videos, including Chardonnay Go and Back to School Shopping at Target. Well, you're going to hear all about those, plus the show she's bringing this weekend to the Iowa Western Community College. Her partner in crime this time is Nebraska native Pat Hazel, who wrote for the Seinfeld show. The two of them have joined creative forces for your Valentine's weekend. The show called My Funny Valentine will definitely have you in stitches. Yes, so if Valentine's week isn't all about love for you this year, it can certainly be about the laughs. Which is almost better. <laughs> it is. Better for the soul sometimes. <laughs> Rachel, so you had a kitchen mishap this week? Yes, as you know, we all have difficulty in the kitchen in this family. Yes, the cooking gene is kind of a missing link in the Mulberry family. <laughs> yes, so this week I was busy running around with the kids. I put some chicken in the oven. I told my son, now it's going to go off in 25 minutes. Make sure you get it out because I know I wouldn't be back for an hour. 
After 25 minutes, I called him just to make sure he took the chicken out. I could tell he had fallen asleep, he was groggy, and I thought, nope, this is probably not going to happen. So I called my 11-year-old daughter. She answered the phone in a chipper voice and said, sure, I'll get it out, Mom. So 40 minutes later, I came home to two sleeping kids, a dinging oven, and let me just describe the chicken as blackened and rock hard. Oh, no. <laughs> so was it usable at all? No. So what was it, time for takeout? Yep, we ordered some pizza. Well, it looks like the mulberry gene was passed down to your kids. You can no longer rely on them to turn off the oven. You've got to set your oven automatic off. There's one of those. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, this is an automatic on for the show for you guys. Coming up next, Rusty Young of Poco and his brand new solo album. Hear all about it right here on the Mulberry Lane Show. Right after this, we'll be waiting for you. Meet the celebrities on your radio station. Back to the Mulberry Lane Show. Now, here's Mulberry Lane. Well, you know his voice from the timeless classic Crazy Love, but right now you're going to spend some time once again with Rusty Young, the singer-songwriter and creative force behind legendary hit band Poco. You're going to hear all about his new solo album, Waiting for the Sun, 50 years in the making. Waiting for the sun, hanging out with Rusty Young. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Very nice. You know, that was actually the first version I had of that song. It was just like that. (laughs) How do we know? I don't know. You girls are something else. (laughs) (laughs) So, Rusty, you were actually retired, and now you have a solo album. So what happened, and how did it come about? I had planned on slowing down and just doing fun things, and and that's what I was doing. And I was doing a show with Jimmy Messina out in uh, L.A. Jimmy and I play together every once in a while. It's fun. I was approached by Kirk Pish. He said, I have a label called Blue Alon. I'm going to ask you if you'd like to do a solo CD. At that point, I was really gearing down. And I said, well, let me think about it. And I came back home to Buckyheadle, Missouri. And I wrote a few songs, and I thought, well, you know what? I think I've got some stuff here that's been brewing for the past, you know, 15 years. Yeah. I think this might be fun. And so uh, I accepted the challenge okay. and went into the studio and recorded this CD, which I'm really, really proud of. Yes. Now, Waiting for the Sun, you actually wrote this album, Waiting for the Sun, to come up. So set the scene for us. Yeah, it actually documents making this record, which is kind of fun. Uh, we live in Missouri in the Mark Twain National Forest. We built a home here, a log cabin. Sits up over the Hoosaw River. To write this record, for a year, I got up between 4 and 5 in the morning when it was dark, and I I would go down to the studio, which has windows overlooking the view. It would be pitch black, and I'd pick up my guitar and pad and pencil, and I'd sit there, and I'd start strumming and start working on things, and then I'd watch the sun come up. So I just started writing about, you know, I'm chasing inspiration somewhere in between the lines, hung up on the right words, wrestling with the same old rhymes, you know, talking about the process of writing a group of songs and I was waiting for the sun to shine and so that song just it was what was going on and you know as songwriters that's what we do at our best we write about things that are happening in our lives around us 
So it's the perfect title song and perfect opening song for the CD because it talks about writing the songs for the CD and it also captures the mood musically that I wanted because it has Buffalo Springfield and Beatle influences okay. you can hear, you know, like the chorus. It's very Beatle-y. When I was finished, I was really, really happy with it and I was playing it for everybody I know and, and, and it just was the perfect opening song for my project. Rusty Young, singer-songwriter with hit band Poco here on the Mulberry Lane Show chatting about his brand new solo album Waiting for the Sun. So now did you find, you know, getting up at that hour, inspiration would magically come because you were there waiting for it? Yeah, you, you girls probably know. I mean, a lot goes on in my head at night when I'm sleeping. I'll wake up with ideas. <laughs> yes. And, always uh, write them down or record yeah. them. Yes. Okay. Right, yeah, you needed something right next to the bed. Well, I would get up and go downstairs and record them or write them down and work on them. And you know, that time of the morning, it's so quiet. Mm-hmm. And when the sun starts coming up around here, all the birds start singing. Again, it's a forest. So it's so peaceful and quiet. I could really concentrate and feel creative on a fresh brain first thing in the right. morning with all the inspiration of the night before. Right. And it was the perfect writing opportunity. How awesome. Now, previous to this, were you always a morning person where you'd tend to write in the morning? It just started. It just started with this project. I normally don't do that. Okay, now you recorded the album at Cash Cabin. So why did you choose there? Of all the places you could record... I recorded this album with my bandmates that are in Poco because they're the best musicians I know. You know, Michael Webb, the keyboard player, and Rick Lano, the drummer, who comes from Flying Burrito Brothers. Uh, They're both session guys. They play sessions all the time in Nashville. And then there's Jack Sundrude, who's been with me since 1985. They're really great musicians, and they're on call, and they play on a lot of hit records that come out of Nashville. They love Poco, and they love being part of it. But we have this thing with us, and you, I'm sure you have the same thing where I don't even have to explain to them they know what I'm looking for Uh we're all all on the same plane they came to me and they said you know the perfect place for us to record would be Johnny Cash's old place the the Cash Cabin and it's on his property out in Hendersonville Tennessee and it's the cabin that he and June used to go to in their heyday to get away from the people at the mansion you know the the big crowds and that (laughs) and they would camp out there and it's a modest little cabin after June died Johnny added on to it and made it into a studio and that's where he recorded you know the last couple of things that he did it's out there it's behind gates so people aren't dropping in on you which they do in nashville all the time if you're uh-huh. in the studio downtown all, all day long people will be dropping in to see what you're doing or say hello or whatever there you were completely left alone and the five in there on the wall you girls would love this on the wall johnny has framed bob dylan's original lyrics to nashville skyline wow what's the piano that's on the cd is uh, June's old piano. It's the one that Johnny's sitting at when he does that Hurt song, uh, you know. How cool. A lot of good vibes there. Yeah, a lot of of great vibes. What I love about it is that, you know, it's kind of tucked away and you were alone, not interrupted, kind of like how the album was written, you know, alone before the sun came up. So it kind of continued that whole vibe. Oh, you're right. I I didn't think about that, but that's really true. That's very true. Yeah. So now let's talk about a couple of the songs on the album. Do you have Mm. a favorite? First of all, I think my favorite has to be a song called My Friend. Okay. And as songwriters, I think you guys would really relate to this. I like to say I'm not a songwriter. I write songs down. And it was a song that was already there, and it took about, I think, a day and a half probably to write, or two sessions to write. It was just always there, and I thought originally 
I was writing it about the 50 years of Poco. Uh-huh. Because, you know, in the very beginning, like a lot of musicians, when we started Poco, you know, we there were like three of us in an apartment in the valley in L.A., and we had one car between us, and we'd pool our money in order to have lunch. You know, it was, yeah. it was a struggle, and it was a struggle to get the band off the ground. When I look back now, we were all so successful. When you look at Randy Meisner and Timothy B., yeah. they're both in a band called the Eagles. I don't know if you've heard of them or not. <laughs> <laughs> they tell me that they've done pretty well. <laughs> you know, Jimmy Messina from Loggins and Messina, Jimmy's done really, really well. And, of course, Richie Fure from Buffalo Springfield through South Island Fure and all the projects he's done really well. And, and I was lucky enough with the Legend album and Crazy Love, you know, going to number one. I can't complain. So we've all done really, really well. You know, we never dreamed we'd be as successful back then as we are now. Yes. So I wrote that song, you know, and it starts off, uh, here we are after all these years, still the same as we were back when oh so long ago and you know times may change i thought i was writing it about us and it is but then i started playing it in concert and i looked out at the audience and i realized the words i was singing belong to all of us the poco nuts have been with us for 50 years and they've all experienced the same things that i'm singing about in that song we all shared those things over these 50 years it wasn't just me and Timothy B, you know. It was all of us. You know, it's one of those songs where you write it and you don't even realize what it's what about it's until about. all of a sudden it tells you. And it's almost you a know. tribute to the fans. Yeah, yeah, it really is. It's a tribute to all of us. It's a song that works for all of us. And so when I got Timothy B and Richie Fure to sing with me on it, that was the home run. That really made that song. Gotta take a quick break. Be right back with Rusty Young from Poco, now out with the solo album. More stories about the making of the album and more stories from an amazing time in music because he was part of it all. Keep it right here with your radio sisters on The Mulberry Lane Show. And we'll take a break with the song Rusty was just talking about, My Friends. Here we are after all these years Still the same as we were back when Oh, so long ago, you know, my friend Now times may change, you know they do Life's been good for me Bringing you the stories behind the songs Now, here's Mulberry Lane Right now, you're hearing from Rusty Young, singer-songwriter of iconic band Poco. Today, he's chatting all about his brand new solo album called Waiting for the Sun. In the first segment, you heard about how he actually wrote the album Waiting for the Sun to Rise on his property in Missouri. And right now, we're talking about the individual songs on the album. Let's get back with Rusty Young. Sarah's song you wrote for your daughter's wedding. So oh, that, I'm glad you mentioned that. Well, we're girls, you know. <laughs> <laughs> we're daddy's girls. <laughs> well, she is, too. She was getting married. She said, Dad, would you sing a song at the wedding for our first dance? And like an idiot, I said, oh, sure, why don't I write a song? And then, it was a really hard song to write because, you know, it's got to be really special. And it took a while to write, but I'm so proud of it. And 
somehow it's gotten out there on YouTube or whatever, and now people are actually using it at other weddings. Perfect okay. song for that. Yeah. I really am fond of it. I really love it. And I'm really bad. I, I'm a crier. Okay. You know, yes. like, you know, uh, Roadrunner cartoons, you when the piano falls down on, on the Wiley Coyote, I, I burst into tears. And uh, so when I sang the song at her wedding, I was in tears by the end of it. And I don't dare sing it in concert because I end up crying at, you know, the very last line, I'll break out into tears. And it's really embarrassing because I'm like a macho dude. You know? <laughs> we don't do that song live just because it's too embarrassing. But that's a really special song for me. Okay, now let's go back a little bit. Now, you were mainly a musician, a steel guitar whiz in the previous bands. And then David Geffen was really responsible for you becoming a singer-songwriter. Can you share that story? <laughs> You've done your homework, young lady. <laughs> <laughs> that's Rachel for you. There you go. David Geffen had a lot of important parts in my life, some good and some not so good. One thing he did, and I don't think he realized at the time, it was the early 70s, and Richie Fure was leaving the band, and I kind of heard rumors of that. So we got called into his office in L.A. for a special meeting, and we all five walked in, and immediately he called Richie into his office, and we're sitting in the waiting room outside. You know, me, Paul Cotton, Timothy B. Schmidt, and George Grantham. The door closes, Richie goes in, out comes David Geffen, and we're sitting, the four of us, in a row on the couch, and David looks at uh, Timothy B., and he says, Tim, now, you sing and you write songs, don't you? And Tim said yes, and he said, Richie's quitting the band. Don't worry about it. You're going to be just fine. And he went to Paul Cotton, and he said, you write and you sing songs. Uh, Richie's leaving the band, but you don't have a problem. Don't worry about it. You'll be taken care of. You're going to be okay. And then he got to me, and at the time, I was on the cover of Guitar Player magazine. I was the most successful pedal steel guitar player maybe of all time at that point. And I was in the Guitar Player Hall of Fame with Eric Clapton and Jimi Hendrix. And, you know, I was pretty much the dude. Right. He looked at me and he said, you play steel guitar, you don't sing and you don't write, do you? And I said, no. And he said, you're in trouble. Oh, and oh that's, that's when the light bulb went off over my head. And I thought, okay, I get it. The only people really important in music are the ones who write and sing songs. I think that's true. My part in the band was I worked on the arrangements because I played steel guitar and banjo and mandolin and dobro and all that kind of stuff. My job in the band was to color, to make the color around the songs that Richie and the guys wrote. Uh-huh. That day it changed. That day I realized that I was going to end up playing in a bar for $50 a night <laughs> if, if I couldn't do that, if I couldn't fill that role. I always helped on the writing of songs, never asking for getting credit, but you know, contributing in that. And I really felt like that was something I could do. That I was always good with words and poetry. Okay. And, and obviously a, a pretty good musician. But so it wasn't I until David Geffen said that that you actually put it in It wasn't when he said that. So I owe him a debt of gratitude. For, <laughs> he did a lot of, like you said, uh, questionable things. But uh, right. one thing he did, that was the moment that changed my life. Yeah. So then you go on and you write Crazy Love. I did. And the ironic thing about that, too, is that it was 10 years after we started Poco. And at that point, Richie had left the band. Timothy had left the band. Jimmy Messina had left the band. And it was me and Paul Cotton. When the band started, as you said, I didn't write, I didn't sing. And the first number one Poco hit ever was a song that I wrote and sang. And it went to number one. And then the album's gone platinum, you know, went multi-platinum. So for the, the guy that sat in the back and played steel guitar and never sang or wrote to have Poco's only, you number know, number one, one song. Exactly. Yeah. Amazing. Getting the rock and roll scoop with Rusty Young of the man Poco here on the Mulberry Lane Show. 
for that recording session when you recorded Crazy Love. Did you have a feeling about that song that it was going to be a hit or was it just another recording session? No, no, we knew because when Timothy left and it was just me and Paul, the label was going to drop us. And uh, we'd already written Heart of the Night and Crazy Love. We were rehearsing them in SIR in L.A. And we thought they were pretty good. And we asked management to come down and they listened to them. And then we got word that the label was going to drop us. And uh, so management said to the label, you should go down to the rehearsal and and listen to what they're doing uh, before you do that. And the label came down and we played Crazy Love for them. And they said, go make a record. (laughs) And... and, uh, we pretty much knew everybody that we played that for right from the get-go. Uh-huh. You know, said, well, this is Poco's first big hit. It's finally here. Yeah. So now, awesome. do you think being around all the writers and singers that you were during that whole time, do you think not being a writer at that time helped you be open and absorb? It was a big time to be open and absorb everything because e- even the studio was new to me. You know, I was just playing in the local bands in Colorado. And to learn how studios work, Richie would say, do you hear that, that, you know, that high pitch? Yeah. And I wouldn't have a clue. I wouldn't hear it. I didn't know how to listen in the studio, much less record. And so over the years, I learned from those guys how to make a record, how to write songs. I learned how to sing by listening to them. I mean, Timothy B. and I have real similar voices. Uh-huh. In the beginning, Timothy would sing the songs that I wrote in Poco. It really taught me, showed me, okay, here's how you sing your song. Yeah. You know, we were managed by the same guys that managed America. Okay. So I was around Dewey and Jerry and Dan. and I recorded on their records with uh, George Martin as the producer. Okay. So that was, wow. It was, yeah, it was a big thrill. So I had some really great teachers teaching me the studio, uh-huh. teaching me how to write, and teaching me how to sing. I had the best school you could possibly have. Absolutely. And you experienced and witnessed. That was such a dynamic, magical time in music. You know, what do you think people would be surprised to know that you know about that time period that maybe people wouldn't realize? I mean, in bands, big thing that happened with all bands was uh, the competition. The competition between the singer-songwriters in the band, like in America, Dewey, Jerry, and Dan, with Buffalo Springfield, they were always competing for the single. Within the band? Yeah, within the band. Okay. Because having the single was the deal. And so there'd be this cutthroat competition between people to have their song be the single. Uh And the first time I met Neil Young, we were in the studio doing the Buffalo Springfield. And he came in. The only thing that he talked about was the fact that he got that little record with the big hole. And he was so thrilled. Now, that was a 45 back then. Uh That's what singles were. So getting that little record with the big hole. And uh, I'd never heard anyone describe it like that. You know, the competition between people, and we had that in Poco, too. There was a real competition, uh, you know, on who had the song. So now, uh, did that make things tense? Oh, I know it did in some bands. In the Springfield, it did. And, you know, there's the big story about uh, Creedence Clearwater, where the boys in the band weren't happy that that John wrote all the songs, because the guy that writes the songs makes all the money. Uh, And I remember the Birds. The Birds were unhappy when Gene Clark wrote their big hit, and he had the Ferrari, and the other guys were driving around in Volkswagen. Yes. And so with the Creedence, you know, they did a record where everybody got to write, not just John. And it was their least successful record ever, because John was the songwriter. But there was... 
that you know animosity between the guys because the one guy is, is really making a lot more money than the other guys and they all think you know well this is all our band we should be equal right. so and, sometimes uh, keeping it equal can actually damage the band in a way damage well, Richie, success yeah yeah Richie did an interesting thing that I thought was really cool and really neat of him and the beginning of Poco he made the publishing band publishing yes so that everybody in the band got a share of the writing royalties I think that was really a smart idea then if you make it that way everyone is pretty honest about what is the best song not trying to just vie for their own song right yeah right before we let you go did you have a favorite moment in the studio recording this current solo album uh, we had a great time doing a song called Gonna Let the Rain Wash It All Away okay. because we had these two girls come in who are just unbelievable soulful singers R&B singers you know I'm gonna let the rain and they do rain uh-huh. It was just so cool. And the band was rocking. I think it was like a one-take song, you know, my tribute to the Rolling Stones, I guess. Okay. And the message is about these times that we're in, sitting here in the cabin, when things would get to me about what's going on in our country. I'd look out and watch the rain on the leaves out in the forest and just think about, you know, they've been here so long and they've seen so much and the rain comes and just washes, washes it, away. it away. And it was great hearing them just, you know, soulfully hitting those things and us you know just rocking like we were 18 again yeah and i'm sure that's a great live song on tour it is a knock you down great great song for the set yeah don't you love it when it works out that way oh i do (laughs) especially when it's easy you know you don't have to force anything it's just natural well this album was meant to be i'm glad you waited for the sun <laughs> Thank you so much. It was great talking to you, ladies. Catch up down the road. Okay. Okay. That's Rusty. a deal. Thanks for having me. Rusty Young with the legendary rock band Poco with his brand new solo album, Waiting for the Sun. Right back here on the Mulberry Lane Show with opera singer Taylor Staten. Keep it here. Shine, shine, Music, arts, and lifestyle. Back to the Mulberry Lane Show. Now, here's Mulberry Lane. Well, you guys get exposed to all genres of music on the show, and today you're really in for a treat. Opera tenor Taylor Staten, who'll be performing the role of Fenton in Opera Omaha's production of Verdi's Falstaff this weekend, he's here to give you a behind-the-scenes look at his musical journey that's taken him to opera stages around the world to critical acclaim, praising his laser-bright tone, stratospheric range, and boyish athleticism. And you guys are going to get to know this rising star in the opera world. Taylor Staten, Opera Gold, a glorious voice to behold. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thanks so much for having me. Oh, great to have you with us. Okay, so now we don't get to have opera singers on our show that often, so we really love getting a look into your world. First of all, talk about the role you'll be playing this weekend for Opera Omaha. This weekend I'll be performing the role of Fenton in uh, Verdi's Falstaff. He falls in love with a young girl, Nanette. Uh, to be honest, it's like dirty dancing. Okay. So he falls in love with this girl who's sort of above his uh, social status. And we're just sort of 
the cream over the top of this sort of chaotic nonsense that's going on in the entire opera. It gives the audience a chance to breathe and relax and think, oh, a love story, (laughs) you know? (laughs) So now, when you prepare for these roles, of course there's the vocal part of it, but there's also all of the emotion you have to bring to it and the acting part of it. So how do you prepare? What's your method? You know, I don't really have a method. Every role is different. Okay. So it's just, like you said, preparing the vocal stuff comes first. But a lot of it just comes with the knowledge of the character and what you think the character is and okay. should do. And you have to take the director's opinion on that. And you have to find that common ground. You know, the more experience I get, the more I do this stuff, the more natural it becomes. Okay. So that's just kind of what I do. You grow you know? with it. Yeah. When did you know in your career that opera was your path? The only opera that I was shown as a kid was like Bugs Bunny. Okay. You know, I grew up in Ohio and like Carl Stalling doing all the music for Looney Tunes. That was because all you I know, got. You don't think of a young kid saying, oh, I want to be an opera singer. You know, it's not. Yeah, well, exactly. Right. Exactly. The first opera I ever saw at 16 was Aida in Dayton, Ohio. Okay. And I slept through like 80% of it. Gotcha. Like so, typical teenager, right? Yeah, exactly. So I sang a lot in high school and did all the musicals and was in choir and played in band yada 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 and I knew I wanted to sing I just didn't know what so I went to Ohio State and went after a Bachelor of Music in vocal performance and I didn't really know what that was at the time so I got there and I had this great teacher he sort of introduced me to opera and was like, wow, you're actually pretty good at this. Uh-huh. And for me, I have such an eclectic taste in music. Uh-huh. As long as I'm performing music and get to sing, I'm happy. Okay, yeah. I and it that. gives me that sort of outlet, you know did what it, I mean? Did yeah. it take a while for you to settle in with the whole opera path? Yes and no. Okay. You know, good music is good music. Sure. You can find attributes in any genre that you find enjoyable, you know what I mean? And you really find I don't know if you yeah. guys feel the same way. Yeah. That's why we have all genres on our show. <laughs> sure, exactly. So now exactly. the opera world, is it cutthroat? Do people support each other? What's it like? Paint us a picture oh. of the opera world. My experience has been generally good. Okay. It can be cutthroat. In my experience so far, I've been really lucky to have worked with some really awesome people and really calm and generous and kind. As any job, you work with some real assholes sometimes. Right, sure. But, you know, you take it or you leave it, and that's that. Uh-huh. Rising star in the opera world, tenor Taylor Staten is here on the Mulberry Lane Show. So now I was reading your schedule, and you have all these roles coming up throughout the year with different operas around the country and around the world. I can imagine that while you're performing one opera, you must be studying another one. And, you know, so what is your schedule like and how do you approach, you know, managing everything? You know, I've also been really lucky. Like, I do a lot of Barbara Seville's. A lot of the stuff that I'm doing in the past couple years have been shows that I know very well. So there's not a lot of preparation involved. This year, I haven't sang Fenton in like six or seven years. So I had to go back and like reintroduce myself to the show a bit and reeducate myself. Oh, it came back really quickly. And then do you find... Super grateful. Since it's seven years ago, the last time you did it, do you find that your voice has matured? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's always changing, you know? I'm sure you guys uh-huh, feel the same, sure. no? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And then do you ever get into vocal ruts, you know, where you have to work through them again? Oh, 
All the time. Okay. All the time. You know, I have a teacher in New York who I study with, and, you know, because I sing a lot of the same roles over and over again, I don't run into vocal things constantly, but when I do, I just go and visit him, and it's like taking your car and for a tune-up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes, it is. Yeah. They know what to do. Now, this being flu and cold season, how do you keep your voice good throughout it and keep from getting sick? Oh, Maybe I should worry about it more than I do. Okay. Uh, I try to rest my voice when I think it needs it. Okay. I, I also use a lot of um, apple cider vinegar, man. That stuff works wonders. You- like clean your counters and clean you out, you know? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's, good. it's good for your counters yeah. and for you. <laughs> the magical elixir. <laughs> so now you married a well-known Omaha dancer and choreographer, Katrinka. And you guys are home bases in Omaha, but yet you travel all over the world. Is it nice to come home? You know, I feel at home in the Midwest, and it's just calm. People are nice. Like, I talk to my neighbors on a daily basis. But I'm out singing, like, in New York or in London or, you know, wherever. I don't really like big crowds that much. I don't like all that nonsense. So to come back and, like, be in my own space with my own things, like, mow my grass and grow tomatoes. That's all I want to do. You know what? That's (laughs) a good balance. Balances out the other side, too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So has there been any pressure on you to live in New York? Well, you know, we moved here because my wife is from here and she has family here, and that's really important to us that we're near them and we have that support system, especially when I'm gone. But I told my wife when we first got together that sooner or later I can sort of live anywhere because I'm gone so much, so it doesn't really matter. Right. And we lived in New York for like a year or so, and I was the one who was like, I want to get out of here. Sooner or later, you start building your resume, and you don't have to do as many auditions because they know you. You, yeah. you have a reputation. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And then, what do you hope people take away from seeing your performance in Falstaff? You know, I always just say that I hope that the audience feels better afterwards than before they came in. And that being said, if it means that we give you some amazing musical experience, awesome. If it means that you have a fantastic nap for two and a half hours, <laughs> that's awesome, too. I hope it's the prior, but yeah. if it's the latter, that's okay, too. As long as you just feel better after you leave, we're all good. Yes, I love it. You're remembering your 16-year-old self that fell asleep during the <laughs> Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> well, that's uh, awesome. Well, it's great to get to know you and hear about everything you're up to. You will have to keep us updated on your future performances. We'd love to chat again. Likewise. Thanks for having me on. And Nebraska is happy to have you here living. Uh, I'm glad to be here. That's opera tenor Taylor Staten here on the Mulberry Lane Show. Keep it right here with your radio sisters. Up next, comedian Dina Blizzard with some plans for your weekend. Keep it right here. We've got you covered. The Mulberry Lane Show. Now, here's Mulberry Lane. Thanks for keeping it here with your radio sisters on The Mulberry Lane Show. Well, you know Dina Blizzard is one funny mother. Her viral video, Chardonnay Go, has over 23 million views. And you guys know Pat Hazel, Omaha native, is one of the original writers for Seinfeld. Well, they've teamed up for an evening of heartwarming and hilarious stand-up comedy about relationships, dating, parenthood, and family life. And you guys can catch My Funny Valentine live at the Arts Center on the campus of Iowa Western Community College Saturday, February 10th at 7.30. Nadina is here to give you the scoop on the show. Welcome, 
Welcome to the show, <laughs> Dina Blizzard. Hello, I feel like I should sing back to you. Hello. Yeah, I'm a horrible singer. That's all I'm going to do. Well, it's awesome to have you on the show. So what can people expect from My Funny Valentine? It's absolutely going to be hilarious. But what I think the unique thing about it is you have two comedians, one male, one female, giving their unique perspective on all things marriage and children and, you know, all the things that make you crazy every day. So I think that's the nice part. The other nice part is that there'll be an opportunity for the uh, for the audience to ask us questions. You know, sometimes you'll see a comedian perform. You're like, oh, I wonder what they're really like. And so you'll get the opportunity to have a talk back after the show. So that's always everybody fun. always asks, are all your stories real? I'm like, sadly, yes, they're all real. <laughs> uh, so it'll be a lot of fun. So now is this set up as a conversation between the two of you? How did you design the show? So the show is designed, you'll kind of uh, see both of us when we first come out, we'll be chatting a bit and introducing ourselves individually to make it clear we're not actually married to each other. We have other people that we're married to. And then you'll hear my set first and kind of hear about my family. Then you'll hear Pat's set. And then you'll get the opportunity to hear both of us together in that talkback format. So I love matching with Pat. So Uh I'm looking forward to it and the audience as well. How did you and Pat join forces? Ironically, we met through uh, an arts program called APAP. I have my own show called One Funny Mother, which is all about the trials and tribulations of motherhood. Pat had the bunk bed years and the wonder bed years. And so um, we just kind of joined forces. We're like, listen, individually, we have amazing shows. Why not be able to kind of join together, bring some different material? So, you know, everything that you'll hear will be completely different than what you would see in either of our shows. So it's a lot of fun. You hear so many times women will go to a comedy club and you'll just see men. And so a lot of people say, oh, I think it's so great to see a woman's perspective uh, and vice versa. I think that a woman's perspective is always unique when there's a man standing next to her with a microphone right? matching with. So uh, so I'm so looking forward to it. Uh-huh. Now, of course, much of what you do is inspired by your own life, but this wasn't always embraced by the comedy clubs, kind of the mom comedy. But now it's really becoming a thing in the stand-up world is women talking about motherhood, their lives, what they deal with on a daily basis. Yeah, well, you know, when I first started, so I've been doing stand-up for about 15 years, and when I first started, you know, a lot of the club owners would say, listen, I mean, you're funny, but, you know, could you talk about subways or dating? And I'm like, well, my husband hates when I date, and I live in the (laughs) suburbs, so I don't ride a train. And I was like, you know, there's a lot of people that don't have any of those experiences, and they just want to get away from their kids. Like, this is the thing. You know, and so Uh for a long time, like you said, it took a long time for me to be able to kind of find my voice and know that there were people in the universe who this spoke to. And so I think social media had a lot to do with finding women who related to what you did. We have a great history of not a lot of them, but some great women in comedy, Um, Roseanne Barr, Brett Butler, and uh, just so many. Um, but I think you're right. I mean, we've found a lot of success. You mentioned earlier we did Chardonnay Go, which was kind of my spoof on the Pokemon Go craze when I didn't want to listen to my kids anymore. And that was 24 million views. We just did another video back in September called the Back to School Rant, where I kind of ran around a Target drinking and talking about school supplies. And that got 93 million views on it. And you think to yourself, you know, it's very validating as a mom who thinks she's crazy to be able to kind of put these thoughts into the universe and have 93 million people say that they saw it and liked it and, uh-huh. and shared it. And That's so, kind of you know, feels I, I, so validating, first of all, as an <laughs> artist, but also as a mom. It is. 
Exactly. Mostly as a mom. As an artist, I'm like, that's nice. As a mom, I'm like, oh, thank God I'm not the only one. You're listening to comedian Dina Blizzard here on the Mulberry Lane Show. You've been able to keep your creative passion alive while juggling being a mom and everything. So what, yeah. and that is one of your platforms too, but what advice would you it give is. to the woman out there struggling um, to follow her creative passion, but yet be there for her kids? I know. You know, I, I started doing stand-up right after I had my second baby and I was turning 30 and I said to my husband, for whatever reason, 30 hit me hard. I was like, I'm going to okay. die. So I should do everything I've ever wanted. Like 40, <laughs> I was fine. I was like, 40 is <laughs> awesome. 30, I was like, I'm going to die soon. I should probably do stand-up. And uh, it was. It was really hard. And, you know, luckily I had my husband and my parents who knew how valuable it was. I'm a big fan of if mom's happy, everybody's happy. Right. And, and I just felt like I had something to say. And I really didn't know how to do it. And so I took a comedy class. And I always think to myself, you know, right now we're touring over the U.S. But honestly, this whole process started with just finding an open mic in a crappy bar in Philadelphia and trying to get on stage and tell one minute of funny jokes, you know? So everything doesn't start magical. It starts in crappy bars. <laughs> and, and baby and steps. people yelling at you. Yeah. And baby steps, absolutely. And, you know, uh, we're actually working on a new project now. It'll be a nonprofit for girls in high school, teaching women how to speak. We don't have great programs for that, but doing it through the arts so they That's can learn great. about stand-up, they can learn about poetry and acting uh-huh. and you know, I just feel like we don't have a place for my daughters to learn it. And I think, gosh, you know, what's going to change in 20 years if we don't teach them? And so I'm super excited about it. It's the next project we have on the horizon. But like you said, at the end of the day, it's about deciding that feeding your own soul will make your family happy. And it sounds like a very selfish thing to do as a mom, but it's made me feel like I can have some balance. And I think to myself, you know, that's hard. It's really hard to be away. But I also am raising two daughters who, like you said, I want them to have something that feeds their soul and makes them happy and still be able to have a happy home. And and I'll go home to all the laundry and it'll all be fine. It'll all pile up there waiting for you. Yeah. We hear you. Exactly. (laughs) All right. Well, Dina, we want to thank you so much for joining the show and glad your battery lasted long enough. Yes. (laughs) Fabulous. The phone lasted. Yay. I love it. So then when you're ready for the next project, we'd love to have you back and chat more. Great. Thanks so much. That's comedian Dina Blizzard. Check out my funny Valentine at Iowa Western Community College this weekend. It's not just about love this Valentine's Day. It's about the laughs. (laughs) Who else do we need to thank, sisters? Well, a big crescendo to opera tenor Taylor Staten. Thanks for sharing your musical journey with us. And guys, don't forget to check out Verity's Falstaff this weekend at the Orpheum Theater. All right, Allie, who else? Okay. Well, Rusty Young of the band Poco brought so much musical knowledge and artistic gems to the show today. Rusty, thanks for stopping by and sharing about your new solo album, Waiting for the Sun. Well, guys, that wraps up another episode of the Mulberry Lane Show. Make sure you join us same time, same place next weekend. But in the meantime, have a great Valentine's Day, no matter what kind of love you're celebrating. Yes, and got to check out our Facebook page this week. We'll be posting a special valentine's day song that has a little twist and we're excited to see how you fit in the puzzle check out mulberry lane on facebook and join us next weekend for another episode of the mulberry lane show we'll be waiting right here on the mulberry couch that's right (laughs) both stay happy and stay blessed Allie, don't forget to be awesome rachel that's a wrap